Welcome to Reflections of Darkness, Shades of Grey, Episode 6. This is your gorgeous drag classic horror hostess, Evil, coming to you from my lair of eternal damnation. So tonight's movie is the Sir Alfred Hitchcock's iconic Psycho. This movie is one of the most perfect movies ever, in all areas. Amazing lighting, angles, the shots you are seeing, what you're not seeing. It's been copied and referenced and inspired countless movies since it came out. But this one definitely set the standard. If you haven't seen Psycho, I highly suggest watching it, because all the spoilers are ahead. I mean, it has been out for 62 years, but you never know. People get busy. <laughs> so, I have seen it many times, and there are still things I notice that are new to me. So, well, like I said, spoilers ahead. And let's get into tonight's main feature. Enjoy. Tonight, I am reviewing Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho from 1960. Immediately, we are hit with the iconic music. Psycho title card, credits. Ooh, it's based on a novel. I wonder if that's any good. I'll have to add that to my extensive reading list. <laughs> it looks like the novel was inspired by the true life tale of Ed Gein, who also inspired Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Silence of the Lambs, and many others. Now that guy was psycho. <laughs> All right, so we open in Phoenix, Arizona, Friday, December 11th. 2.43 p.m. and we focus in on someone's hotel room as a couple just finished their lunch date but they didn't eat their sandwiches huh but if i had a lunch date with that guy i wouldn't be eating my sandwiches either <laughs> so we meet sexy sam and marion crane played by the iconic janet lee mother of jamie lee curtis also another horror queen and marion is calling off these trysts with sam she wants an actual relationship, but so does he, but he feels unworthy because he has debt and he's poor, but he's hot. So I think that's a fair trade. <laughs> so they leave things up in the air and she leaves him in the hotel room to go back to work. So she works for a real estate agent and the agent and this loud man full of cash comes in and he wants to buy a house with cash, $40,000 in cash that he just hands to Marion. So the boss tells her to take the cash to the safety deposit box over the weekend and they'll deposit it Monday. So she heads out to the bank. Or not. <laughs> the money is on her bed, as well as a suitcase of clothes. Looks like someone is embezzling funds and running off. <laughs> now, I looked up how much $40,000 in 1960 would be in today's money. It's just about $400,000. Now, would you leave your job and life behind for that kind of money? That's a possible maybe. <laughs> For a lot of people, it's a definite maybe. All right, so on her way out of town, her boss crosses right in front of her car, and he kind of sees her and starts the tense music and puts Marion in panic mode. So more driving, and she's falling asleep at the wheel. So she pulls off the side of the road for the night, being responsible. But a policeman checks her out in the morning, and honestly, she couldn't act more suspicious. Hold it there. In quite a hurry. Yes, 
I didn't intend to sleep so long. I almost had an accident last night from sleepiness, so I decided to pull over. You slept here all night? Yes. As I said, I couldn't keep my eyes open. There are plenty of motels in this area. You should have... I mean, just to be safe. I didn't intend to sleep all night. I just pulled over. Have I broken any laws? No, ma'am. Then I'm free to go. Is anything wrong? Of course not. Am I acting as if there's something wrong? Frankly, yes. Please, I'd like to go. Well, is there? Is there what? I've told you there's nothing wrong, except that I'm in a hurry and you're taking up my time. Now, just a moment. Turn your motor off, please. May I see your license? Why? Please. So then she drives off, aware of the cop behind her the whole time, and then he finally pulls off. Then she gets the idea to trade in her car for a new one, and guess who shows up and parks right across the street from the car lot? That's right, the policeman from earlier. He is clearly suspicious. So she rushes the car guy, acting even more suspicious. Girl, you need to calm down. (laughs) She goes into the ladies' room to count out the $700 from her stack of money. Then she drives off, leaving the officer and the car dealer just standing there. Then more driving, as she has a ton of inner dialogue of what people may be saying about her. Hey, officer, that was the first time I ever saw the customer high pressure the salesman. Somebody chasing her? I better have a look at those papers, Charlie. She looked like a wrong one to you? Acted like one. The only funny thing, she paid me $700 in cash. Yes, Mr. Lowry. Carolyn? Mine still isn't in? No, Mr. Lowry, but then she's always a bit late on Monday mornings. Buzz me the minute she comes in. Call her sister. No one's answering at the house. I called her sister, Mr. Lowry, where she works. The music maker's music store, you know. And she doesn't know where Marion is any more than we do. You better run out to the house. She may be unable to answer the phone. Her sister's going to do that. She's as worried as we are. No, I haven't the faintest idea. As I said, I last saw your sister when she left this office on Friday. She said she didn't feel well and wanted to leave early. I said she could. That was the last I saw. Wait a minute. I did see her sometime later, driving. Uh, I think you'd better come over here to my office, quick. Carolyn, get Mr. Cassidy for me. After all, Cassidy, I told you, all that cash. I'm not taking the responsibility. Oh, for heaven's sake. Girl works for you for 10 years, you trust her. All right, yes, you better come over. Well, I ain't about to kiss off $40,000. I'll get it back, and if any of it's missing, I'll replace it with her fine, soft flesh. I'll track her, never you doubt it. Oh, hold on, Cassidy. I still can't believe it must be some kind of a mystery. I, I can't. You check with the bank, no? They never laid eyes on her, no? You still trusting? Hot creeper. She sat there while I dumped it out. Hardly even looked at it. Planning. And, and even flirting with me. She's still driving, and it's dark out. And now it starts raining. And I mean downpouring. And those windshield wipers she has suck. But what's that up ahead? Why, it looks like a motel. Oh, and they have a vacancy. What luck. <laughs> no one is in the motel office, but she sees an older woman pacing upstairs in the house next to the motel, so she honks her car horn. Then we meet a very young, handsome Norman Bates, played by Anthony Perkins, who is actually in another one of my favorite non-horror movies, Mahogany. Anyway, he gives her cabin number one, and he helps her into a room, then offers to have dinner with her. You know, nothing special. Sandwiches and milk. He leaves, and she immediately starts looking for a place to hide the money. So she wraps it in her newspaper and leaves it on the side table. Clever girl, hiding in plain sight. Then she hears Norman's mother. 
No, I tell you, no. I won't have you bringing strange young girls in for supper. By candlelight, I suppose, in the cheap erotic fashion of young men with cheap erotic minds. Mother, please. And then what? After supper, music? Whispers? Mother, she's just a stranger. She's hungry and it's raining out. Mother, she's just a stranger. As if men don't desire strangers. As if... Oh, I refuse to speak of disgusting things because they disgust me. You understand, boy? Go on, don't tell her she'll not be appeasing her ugly appetite with my food. Or my son. Or do I have to tell her because you don't have the guts? Huh, boy? You have the guts, boy? Shut up! Shut up! She sounds like a lovely old woman. <laughs> so Norman brings the sandwiches down to the cabins, and they eat in his office parlor. His office parlor with a bunch of taxidermied birds in it. We have some light chit-chat. We find out he has no friends, really, and pretty much just stays at home with his mother. Then some more chit-chat about his father dying and his mother's new beau dying and how he couldn't leave his mother even though he hates what she's become. You know, Anthony Perkins is great in this role. He is innocent and crazy, happy and sad, boyish and mature. So many personalities coming through all together. So she goes back to her room and he goes back into his parlor, takes a picture off the wall to reveal a peephole where he watches her get undressed. Ooh, naughty Norman. <laughs> I mean, obviously the camera shots are amazing and in black and white, it's even more accentuated. It's something you don't really notice in movies these days, but it is clear here. Norman then goes up to the house and that house is stunning, and I want it. Well, I want it right after I get the Adams Family house, the Munsters house, Elvira's house before the paint job. Then I'll take this one. <laughs> now, Marion wants to take a shower, and so she's standing right in front of the shower head and then turns it on. Um, hello? That would be ice cold. No one does that. You'd let it warm up and then step in the shower. Ugh, that scene always freaks me out, because she's just standing there, Turns on the shower. No! Nobody does that. Ugh. Okay, so she's showering, and we see through the frosted shower curtain someone has come in the room with her. Okay, I mean, obviously everyone knows this iconic shower stabbing scene with the old woman and the blood going down the drain. Oh my god, that music is so good, though. Originally, Alfred wanted no sound during this scene, but the music guy made something for him, he listened to it, and he was like, yes, immediately put it in. And it's classic to this day. So the old lady storms out as Marion dies in the shower, ripping down the shower curtain and flopping over the edge of the tub. Mother, oh God, mother, blood, blood. Bye-bye, Marion. The water running scene with the zoom out from her eye, then we zoom in on the newspaper with the money. Ugh, it's such a good shot. These Some of these shots are just so, I mean, iconic for a reason. Hello. Then Norman rushes in and he has to clean up after mother. So he cleans the bathroom, puts Marion in the shower curtain, backs her car up to the cabin, puts her in her very spacious trunk. Then he packs all of her stuff in a suitcase, including her newspaper full of money, puts that in the trunk with the mop and the bucket, then drives the car into the swamp, pushes it in, and it sinks slowly and is gone. Cut to Sam from the beginning at his hardware store and Marion's sister Lila comes in looking for Marion and a private investigator comes in at the same time. Let's all talk about Marion, shall we? My name is Arbogast, friend. I'm a private investigator. Where is she, Miss Crane? What's your interest in this? Well, $40,000. $40,000. That's right. Well, one of you better tell me what's going on and tell me fast. I can take just so much of this. Oh, take it easy, friend. Take it easy. It's just your girlfriend stole $40,000. 
What are you talking about? What is this? She was supposed to bank it on Friday for her boss. And she didn't. And no one has seen her since. Someone has seen her. Someone always sees a girl with $40,000. Sam, they don't want to prosecute. They just want the money back. Sam, if she's here... She isn't. She isn't. Miss Crank, can I ask you a question? Did you come up here on just a hunch and nothing more? Not even a hunch, just hope. Well, with a little checking, I could get to believe you. I don't care if you believe me or not. All I want to do is see Marion before she gets in this too deeply. Did you check in Phoenix? Hospitals? Maybe she had an accident. Or a holdup. No, she was seen leaving town in her own car by her employer, I might add. I can't believe it. Can you? Well, you know, we're always quickest to doubt people who have a reputation for being honest. I think she's here, Miss Crane. But there's a boyfriend. She's not back there with the nuts and balls, but she's here in this town somewhere. So the investigator starts checking all the hotels and motels in the area. And then he finally gets to the Bates Motel. So Arbogast, that's the private investigator, starts questioning Norman. And Norman starts off pretty good, and then starts lying, and then he starts getting caught up in those lies. And then he does remember her, and then he starts talking and can't seem to stop. Then he almost recovers and offers to show Arbogast every cabin if he helps him change the sheets. But then Arbogast wants to speak to Norman's mother. That's when Norman puts his foot down and is done with this for the moment. So Arbogast leaves and calls Lila, Marion's sister. Lila, listen. Marion was up here. Yeah, she spent last Saturday night at the Bates Motel. It's right out here on the old highway. I even know what cabin she was in. It was number one. Well, this young fellow that uh, runs the place said that she just spent the night, left the next day, and that was it. Mm. Um, no, not exactly. Well, I did question him, believe me, but uh, I think I got all there was to get. I'll just have to pick up the pieces from here. I tell you, I don't feel entirely satisfied. Uh, see, this boy had a sick old mother. I think she saw Marion and talked to her. No, no, unfortunately, he wouldn't let me see her. Well, I was, but uh, I think I'll go back to the motel first. No, you stay there with Loomis. I'll be back in about an hour. All right, fine. Listen, I, you'll be happy to know what I think. Uh, I think our friend uh, Sam Loomis didn't know that Marion was here. All right, see you in about an hour, or less. Talk about a one-sided conversation. <laughs> Cut to Arbogast going back to the Bates Motel and starts snooping. I mean, investigating. And he heads up to the house to try to speak to Norman's mother. And then he just walks in the house. Um, okay, don't knock. Then the staircase scene, which is amazing. And it's been recreated a ton of times. Usually not as good, though. So the investigator gets stabbed by Norman's mother falling down the stairs. Great scene. Cut to Sam's hardware store. Okay, I got to say this again. You know the guy who plays Sam, John Gavin? So handsome. Mm. Anyway, Sam and Lila have been waiting there for the investigator for three hours, and Lila is impatient. Cut to Norman sinking another car in that swamp. How deep is this swamp? It is going to fill up pretty soon if you don't stop killing Norman. <laughs> oh god, I sound like his mother. <laughs> so Sam shows up to the hotel looking for the investigator, but didn't find him. So he goes back and tells Lila, no Arbogast, no Norman. Only the old lady in the house that won't answer the door. Weird. So they go to the local sheriff and tell him the whole story about Marion, the investigator, Norman, and his mother. And the sheriff drops the bomb on the story. This detective was there. Norman told him about the girl. The detective thanked him and he went away. And he didn't come back? Didn't see the mother? Your detective told you he couldn't come right back because he was going to question... Norman Bates' mother, right? Yes. 
Norman Bates's mother has been dead and buried in Green Lawn Cemetery for the past ten years. I hope Norman pick out the dress she was buried in. Periwinkle blue. It ain't only local history, Sam. It's the only case of murder and suicide on Fairvale ledgers. Mrs. Bates poisoned this guy she was involved with when she found out he was married. Then took a helping to the same stuff herself. Strychnine. Ugly way to die. Norman found them dead together. In bed. You mean that old woman I saw sitting in the window out there wasn't Bates' mother? Now, wait a minute, Sam. Are you sure you saw an old woman? Yes, in the house behind the motel. I called and pounded, but she just ignored me. You want to tell me you saw Norman Bates' mother? But it had to be, because Arbogast said so, too. And the young man wouldn't let him see her because she was too ill. Well, if the woman up there is Mrs. Bates, who's that woman buried out in Green Lawn Cemetery? That's a good question, Sheriff. <laughs> Cut to Norman in my dream house, and he goes up to talk to his mother. I am sorry, boy, but you do manage to look ludicrous when you give me orders. Please, mother. No, I will not hide in the fruit cellar. <laughs> you think I'm fruity, huh? I'm staying right here. This is my room and no one will drag me out of it. Least of all, my big, bold son. They'll come now, mother. He came after the girl and now someone will come after him. Mother, please, it's just for a few days. Just for a few days so they won't find you. Just for a few days? In that dark, dank fruit cellar? No! You hid me there once, boy, and you won't do it again. Not ever again. Now get out! Told you to get out, boy. I'll carry you, mother. Norman, what do you think you're doing? Don't you touch me! Don't! Norman! Then we get another cool overhead shot of the staircase as Norman carries his mother down to the fruit cellar. Next day, Sam and Lila talk to the sheriff again, and the sheriff said he went to the motel and found nothing wrong. So Lila and Sam hatch a plan to stay at the motel as man and wife and search for clues. So when they get to the base motel, there is this awkward check-in scene with Sam trying to unnerve uh, Norman, which works, clearly. They think Bates stole the money, and that was the reason that the sister is missing. Which is funny because he knew nothing about the money. <laughs> he actually threw it away. So they go to cabin one to look around. Sam notices no shower curtain. And Lila finds a scrap of paper with 40,000 written on it. So Lila wants to talk to the mother. So Sam goes off to distract Norman while Lila heads up to the house. Now, I don't know if it's just me, but when Sam is with Norman alone, I feel a weird kind of homoerotic tension between them. Hmm... Maybe it's just wishful thinking. <laughs> so Lila goes up to the house and just walks in, like everyone, and starts looking around. She goes into Norman's mother's room, and there's this tent in the bed in the shape of Norman's mother. It was very weird. All her dresses in the closet. And so she keeps looking and finds Norman's room. A room of a child, really, still. Like, toys and stuff all over. But it's clear that he sleeps in there. Weird. So Sam and Norman's conversation gets a little heated and Norman realizes what's happening, knocks out Sam and rushes up to the house as Lila heads to the fruit cellar and she finally sees Norman's mother facing the corner. So she touches her shoulder and her mother in the chair turns around slowly and it's the mummified corpse with no eyes. Ah. So Lila screams, obviously, as Norman in his mother drag busts in with a butcher knife, but Sam is there and subdues Norman. Okay. Cut to the courthouse with the sheriff, Lila, Sam, and the psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist has a bit of a story. 
Now, to understand it the way I understood it, hearing it from the mother, that is, from the mother half of Norman's mind, you have to go back ten years to the time when Norman murdered his mother and her lover. Now, he was already dangerously disturbed. Had been ever since his father died. His mother was a clinging, demanding woman. And for years, the two of them lived as if there was no one else in the world. Then she met a man. And it seemed to Norman that she threw him over for this man. And that pushed him over the line, and he killed them both. Matricide is probably the most unbearable crime of all. Most unbearable to the son who commits it. So he had to erase the crime, at least in his own mind. He stole her corpse. He hid the body in the fruit cellar. Even treated it to keep it as well as it would keep. She was there, but she was a corpse. So he began to think and speak for her. Give her half his life, so to speak. At times, he could be both personalities, carry on conversations. At other times, the mother half took over completely. Now, he was never all Norman, but he was often only mother. So he was his mother and Norman, but mostly his mother. And this was the final straw, and the mother won. So now it's just mother. Bye-bye, Norman. <laughs> then one of the officers brings Norman's mother a blanket. In that final scene of Norman in the blanket, in the inner mother log, against the gray wall, iconic. The end as they drag the swamp and pull a car out. Well, that was Psycho from 1960. This movie was and is iconic. Everything about it, the soundtrack, the camera angles, the lighting, the acting, the twist ending. If you haven't seen this movie, I say do it now. I, even though I spoiled everything for you. If you can find it playing on a big screen somewhere, go. It's worth it. Actually, that goes for most Hitchcock movies. If you can see them on the big screen, do it. So I give Psycho from 1960, 10 out of 10, cheap old lady wigs. <laughs> now, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends to check out the Reflections of Darkness podcast, Shades of Grey edition. And feel free to message me any comments, questions, concerns, movie recommendations, whatnot. And yeah, well, that's enough black and white horror for me tonight. As always, keep watching classic scary movies. Bye-bye. Do you go out with friends? Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. <laughs>